You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. British Ambassador to the U.S. Dame Karen Pierce and German Ambassador to the U.S. Emily Haber joined the Washington Post to discuss their nation's initial response to the coronavirus pandemic and plans for recovery. Let's listen. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm David Ignatius, foreign affairs columnist at the Washington Post. Thank you for tuning in to Washington Post Live. This interview is the first in a new series, Coronavirus Global Outlook, which will offer international perspectives on the fight against COVID-19 and feature world leaders, ambassadors, and health officials to capture the full impact of this global emergency. I'm very pleased this afternoon to begin this series with two of Europe's top diplomats in Washington, German Ambassador to Washington, Emily Haber, former State Secretary, both in the Foreign Office and in their Homeland Security Department, and Britain's new ambassador to Washington, named Karen Pierce, former uh, British permanent representative of the United Nations, both distinguished diplomats. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with me and with all of us. Let me just start with the bottom line, the grim numbers. These are two key allies of the United States, two distinct and very different experiences with COVID-19. As of this morning, UK total cases 161,000 with 21,678 deaths, Germany 157,641 cases and 6,000 115 deaths, far, far fewer. The U.S., by contrast, a million cases and 58,000 deaths. So we're hoping today that we can all learn from each other's experience uh, as we think about where we've been and where we're going with this pandemic. Ambassador Pierce, let me begin uh, by asking you. Britain uh, has a very visible uh, sign of how hard this pandemic has hit uh, in the hospitalization, indeed for a time in the emergency room of your of your new prime minister, Boris Johnson. And I wanna ask you whether from what you sense, that experience changed how he looked at this problem. He, before uh, the crisis became severe, uh, talked about it's okay to continue shaking hands and uh, had, a, had a somewhat low key response, some people said. Has he been changed by the experience of being in the hospital and really in the face of this uh, pandemic personally? Um, I think from the hospital has been uh, the overwhelming concern for NHS workers, National Health Service workers, uh, to get them equipment, uh, but also to pay tribute to the amazing job they're doing uh, on the front line. Um, I think we'd already started uh, to have um, a more significant lockdown before the Prime Minister went into hospital. Uh, and now he's come out, he's made it very clear uh, that he wants to make sure we can avoid a second wave. Uh, that's very much on his mind. But he's also asked for work to be done on how we can get to a plan for reopening the economy. Uh, so I don't think there's a big change there. Uh, but he said how grateful he is uh, to the National Health Service workers uh, who kept him safe. And Ambassador Pierce, as we try to think, all of us, about lessons learned from what we've been living through, do you think it's a fair criticism to say that 
the United Kingdom was initially slow in organizing its response to this pandemic, and that that's one of the takeaways. I think we wanted to follow the science right from the start, and then the science became clearer, and it was clear that in response to that, uh, we had to adopt more stringent uh, lockdown measures. Uh, so, as I say, we've tried to be led by the science, but it took us in a different direction than we had originally uh, expected. Uh, we also have put more emphasis recently on testing. Uh, we're very admiring of what Germany uh, has done on testing. Uh, I think that's been really critical. Uh, and so we have now upped all of our testing uh, to try and get a, a grip of the virus. So that's a good point of transition to uh, ask Ambassador Emily Haber uh, from Germany to share with all of us, share with our audience around the country, I hope around the world, uh, why uh, Germany has been more successful than many countries in containing this virus. The death count, as I noted at the outset, is, is far lower than, than many countries that are near you, similar to you. Why is that? What did Germany do right that the rest of the world can, can learn from? I noticed that many people here um, tend to paint uh, the German uh, a case in different colors uh, than uh, cases uh, across uh, uh, other European countries, which is not entirely true. We have, as you pointed out, uh, very nearly 160,000 people who were infected uh, and uh, the illness uh, came pretty early on. But and, and we've put in place all the measures uh, uh, that the UK has, has put in place or um, uh, other European countries or you uh, for that matter, including uh, testing, contact tracing, uh, hygiene uh, rules uh, and so forth, lockdown, uh, social distancing. But two aspects stand out. One is we had a head start uh, because even before uh, the WHO had determined that this was uh, um, that human-to-human -human transmission was possible, uh, the German scientists had developed a test for precisely this uh, uh, crisis, which then, uh, when it was uh, determined as pandemic, uh, was quickly mass-produced, recognized by the WHO. We did rigorous testing early on, and we did rigorous contact uh, tracing early on, which allowed us uh, to prepare ourselves, uh, to prepare the hospital system. Uh, we nearly doubled uh, the uh, intensive care units, beds, and the respiratory uh, uh, equipment in the months between January and, and March. So all of that prepared us uh, for, um, uh, the, uh, raise, uh, for the rise of the numbers uh, of those infected. And at no stage, our, um, our healthcare system was uh, overwhelmed because we had been able to prepare. Also, we had a pandemic strategy in place, which made us prepared to take exactly the steps that were necessary. At no stage did we have to discuss whether people would have to pay for testing because the procedures had been determined and we acted according to the procedures that had been fixed. So I would say early testing, um, a well-prepared uh, healthcare system, uh, well-oiled healthcare system, uh, uh, preparation in the intensive uh, uh, care units, uh, and early hospitalization, uh, which made sure uh, that those who were infected uh, wouldn't 
enter the second stage uh, of the illness with severe uh, uh, symptoms. Um, uh, that was uh, that was part of our strategy. Ambassador Hubbard, uh, Germany, like the United States, has a federal system. Many of our viewers may not realize that, but you have your launder, your 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 different, uh, uh, you know, more more local organizations. But you seem to have done a better job of coordinating those federal decentralized units with central planning than than we've been able to do. And I wonder how you've been so successful at that. Is there is there a a simple uh, formula you could offer about how you're able to coordinate these decentralized operating units with a central plan? Well, first of all, decentralization uh, was really a competitive edge because decisions could be taken locally uh, and not without referring uh, to any uh, federal level. So that was important. Also, we have structures in place uh, uh, that um, uh, facilitate it because it always happened. It facilitates regular contacts, uh, regular discussions, regular conferences between all health ministers uh, and the federal health, le health level. The same is true for the meetings and conferences of the uh, uh, of the chancellor with the prime ministers of the federal states. So we had an intricate uh, uh, structure of um, uh, of uh, referring to one another and uh, coordinating in place. We didn't have to set it up. So one more question before I turn back to Ambassador Pierce, and that's about your leadership. We talked a moment ago about Boris Johnson's personal experience. Uh, I think the whole world was moved by by his uh, hospitalization, a, a very clear risk that he was facing. Uh, we note the joyous news today of the birth of a, of a son um, uh, ahead. So um, I want to ask uh, you, Ambassador Haber, about, about your leader, your uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel. It, it's often said that part of Germany's success is that it had someone who in a way was uniquely appropriate to deal with this kind of crisis. Uh, I read that she was herself a scientist. She was also the daughter of a Lutheran pastor. So she combined the scientific knowledge and a sense of compassion, uh, which was the right mix. Maybe you could just say a few words about your chancellor and how you think she's responded to this crisis and why she seems to have gotten it pretty right. Well, the polls tell us uh, that uh, she personally, but the entirety uh, of the government as well, uh, has enjoyed uh, a great support uh, for the uh, course uh, taken. And I would add that uh, perhaps German citizens wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have followed the guidelines issued by federal states and uh, by the federal level uh, had they not credited her the government and the federal uh, governments of the uh, federal states uh, uh, with a credibility for the pretty tough course uh, that we have chosen. Ambassador uh, Pierce, I want to turn now to the question that we're all beginning really to think hard about, and that's how we return from this period of economic lockdown, uh, Basically, our economies in the U.S., the U.K., and Germany have all been have all been essentially shuttered, and we're going to move now towards something uh, more active. And I'd be grateful if you would 
uh, lay out for us what the thinking is uh, in Britain with your prime minister and his key advisors about this path toward reopening the British economy. And then I'll turn to Ambassador Haber and ask her about Germany. Uh, well, thank you very much on, on everyone's mind, as I say, and the uh, Prime Minister returned to work uh, asking for plans to be drawn up uh, for a roadmap for this. I think it has several key ingredients. Uh, one is phased. How do you phase the reopening of an economy? When do you reopen schools? What sort of businesses do you reopen? There may be something very important about getting outdoors uh, industries going back first. Uh, construction, gardening, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, there's something very important about help to businesses. Uh, we've been given a lot of loan guarantees uh, to businesses, some 15% uh, of our GDP. Uh, so that's an important element. Uh, we want to study global supply chains. Uh, throughout this crisis, both Boris Johnson and Dominic Raab have been clear we want to keep the global economy moving uh, we want to keep trade flowing. At the same time, uh, we need to have a proper look at what countries need to produce themselves uh, to make them more resilient. Uh, and from our perspective, we're also very keen that we use our overseas aid uh, to help developing countries uh, get more resilient uh, in health. Uh, and we think that's a very important part. And there's some interesting work going on on, on vaccines uh, that we might come on to. But I think those are the the key ingredients for us. And there's something very important about the messaging around this. How do you get people back to work safely? You had a shot earlier uh, of our banner when we give news conferences, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. Uh, we now need to find the right sort of message so that people can get back to work safely. And uh, Ambassador Pierce, as your government uh, begins to think about what the fall is going to look like, uh, a question every American family, I'm sure every family in Britain and Germany too, is wondering is, will my kids be going back to school? How's that, how's that going to work? And I'd be curious, as you uh, read the statements from your, your colleagues, um, uh, what that question of getting both uh, uh, elementary, primary, uh, high school students and, and university students back on their campuses uh, in September. Does that seem possible to you? Um, it's certainly something uh, we're looking at. We have a different school term uh, from in America. We have three school terms a year, uh, so we actually have a summer term, uh, which normally doesn't finish until late July. University terms uh, finish May or June. Um, so I think it is hard to see the universities being able to get lots of people back this summer, I think there's a slightly different question about schools, uh, whether primary school or, or high school, uh, that will be looked at. Uh, I don't want to make a commitment uh, that I might not be able to keep, but certainly we would like to have the education system at all three levels up and running again in September. That's, that's fascinating. I, I had not heard that uh, uh, sharp a, a, a statement. Ambassador Haber, uh, let me ask you similarly about reopening in all its dimensions, and I'll start with, with German industry. Volkswagen, uh, we read, was back at work on Monday, uh, resuming production of vehicles, but under very different rules. And I wonder if you could explain to us what the view is of the Chancellor of Government and, and 
Germany's uh, uh, business leaders about the path back in manufacturing, distribution, uh, all the other elements of commerce. And then we'll turn in a minute to the question of getting people back to school. But what, what about Volkswagen and the other businesses? The thinking in Germany is that we'll start very incrementally. The situation is still very fragile. We have a reproduction rate of uh, the illness now at 0.9%, uh, but it was slightly higher the days before and lower the days before that. So it's not stable as yet. And that's where we don't have a straight highway uh, uh, leading us uh, to a complete reopening of the society. We'll decide as we move along, assessing the situation, assessing the effects of every single opening uh, for uh, the rest of the society and constantly uh, weighing uh, the uh, health security risks for the society uh, against the economic risks. So now in the first incremental steps, uh, we have reopened a number of companies and a number of uh, uh, retail uh, um, uh, uh, stores and a number of schools under very new rules, uh, that is health rules, hygiene rules, etc. But what is certain for us is uh, we we work incrementally and we decide uh, and we assess as we move along. Now, just on the second point that my British colleague has made, uh, what we do nationally uh, doesn't happen in a completely separate universe. Um, everyone knows that this who may come back, there may be uh, different waves. So whatever we do uh, in, within our national borders will possibly be affected and we in turn can affect others uh, by um, the degree of, uh, effectiveness, uh, um, uh, of, of effectiveness uh, in other countries, not only Europeans, but across the world. And this uh, makes it very, very urgent uh, that we take responsibility uh, to help other countries uh, um, and to uh, make them more resilient, uh, to equip them, uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to give humanitarian aid. Because much as everyone says we're in the same boat, uh, yes, we are. Uh, uh, um, and we can't afford to be as inward looking and uh, just fending for ourselves as, and I say that with some criticism too, uh, as we've been, my country certainly has uh, been in the very early stages of the crisis. That's, that's well said, um, something we all need to think about more. Let, let me just ask you to uh, focus on the question of uh, students getting back to school. If I heard you right, you said that in some limited cases already this week, uh, some schools are reopening. Tell us a little bit more about that and then what you think Germany will look like as we end the summer and get into the normal beginning of the academic year? Um, the, uh, the understanding uh, as of today is that uh, schools will reopen, but not for all classes and not uh, at the same time. Um, you can say that between now and uh, the beginning of summer, uh, every German student will have gone to his classes at some stage but it will be a, a very differentiated uh, um, uh, pattern. Let me turn now to the question of resumption of trade and possible new trade agreements and ask Ambassador Pierce to, to, to lead us off on that. Um, Dominic Robb, your foreign uh, secretary, said today 
that he would like to see a rapid uh, UK-EU trade deal by the end of this year. Uh, it was a comment he made, I think, um, this morning uh, in London. Uh, is that realistic under current circumstances? And what would you want to see in that UK-EU trade deal um, uh, accomplished so quickly, uh, as, as he said, as a stabilization me mechanism? Well, we would like we would like to try and conclude the EU UK trade deal uh, agreement, free trade deal uh, this this year, as as the foreign secretary said. Um, it's a, a difficult timetable, but we believe it's possible. Uh, the situation at the moment is that we have several rounds uh, with the European Union. Uh, one round has has just concluded. Um, both sides are our negotiators called David Frost. The European Union negotiator is Michel Barnier. Uh, both are very skilled at their jobs. Uh, the next round will take place and then there'll be a stock taking in June uh, where they make a bigger assessment uh, of progress made. Um, but certainly uh, we are looking for good market access. Uh, we're looking for fair trade, fair deals. Um, from our perspective, we obviously want to have at least as good access as countries outside uh, the European Union. Now, the last round uh, was in a little bit of doubt about that last point, uh, but I hope, we hope, uh, it will be possible to move forward uh, and be able to have a good, solid uh, free trade deal by the end of the year. And Ambassador Pierce, you told uh, Politico uh, uh, recently, not long after your arrival, in the United States that you'd like uh, to see the U.S. and the U.K. get started uh, in negotiation for a, a trade deal between our two countries. How's that going? Have you had any, any conversations yet with U.S. trade officials? Do you get any signal that they might be, be ready to begin that process soon? And what will you be looking for in that negotiation? Um, I think it's COVID-19 is, is the reason why we haven't actually uh, formally launch those negotiations. But uh, there's a lot of will on both sides and a lot of preparations uh, going on, on on both sides. Uh, and so certainly we believe that's something that's achievable, uh, but there are a couple more things to, to tie down before we actually have a formal launch. Um, I think one of the important things about both um, trade deals, if you like, is that they would be an expression of confidence uh, in the global economy's recovery. Uh, after COVID-19. Uh, so I think there are big reasons, uh, as well as trade reasons, uh, to press ahead uh, in the best way we can. Uh, and if I can talk more generally uh, about economy and economic recovery, I think we also see it as a very good opportunity uh, to try and bring back economic recovery uh, and help other countries, particularly developing countries, uh, get to grips with it in a more green and sustainable way than might otherwise have been the case. Uh, so we do see an opportunity there. Uh, I don't want to gloss over the difficulties. Uh, we've been talking about some of them, uh, but I think there's a bit of an opportunity here. And if we can get it right, then we give the world economy uh, a really good boost of confidence. So let me uh, turn uh, now to the question I think we all um, think uh, most about when we think about the path back from this crisis. Uh, path back to good health and, and economic stability. I, I think of the three T's, uh, tracing, testing, and therapies, new, new drug therapies. So, Ambassador Haber, on those three T's, 
uh, Germany has been a leader in, in testing and, and tracing, but I noted the, an interesting pullback by your government uh, from having a centralized app that people would use uh, in the tracing process. And Germans who always worry about privacy issues seem to have felt that was a step too far. So to just tell us briefly where, where you see Germany on, on my three, three T's list. Um, on, well, on testing uh, and tracing, uh, um, you already made the relevant points. It's true, we pulled back from a federal solution in developing uh, the, uh, a tracing app. But this does not mean that we dropped uh, the uh, tracing app. We're working uh, on it just this uh, very minute. Uh, but it was paid after a, a very um, emotional public debate uh, on the privacy issues uh, that an app will only work if people accept it. Uh, and if people um, are, uh, accept the urgency and the necessity and will actually participate. And that was the reason uh, to reconsider uh, the federal solution, the central solution, uh, and uh, revisit, uh, revisit the earlier option of having a decentralized uh, uh, solution. In addition to the technological uh, um, option, we have also set up uh, healthcare tracing teams in every single uh, uh, healthcare authority in the German federal states, uh, which on a personnel level, if you like, uh, are doing the tracing too, because we feel tracing is important for with the pandemic. And, uh, Ambassador Pierce, we noted uh, with interest, um, everybody uh, studies vaccine development now in a way that we never did uh, before. We have a deep personal interest in it. Um, and so we noted that an Oxford team, uh, according to American reporting, is moving quite fast toward developing a vaccine. Tell us a little bit about what, what you know about progress towards uh, therapies uh, by Oxford, other universities in Britain, and how that looks to, to your government as you think about the future. How soon are we, the basic question we all wonder, how soon are we gonna have thera therapeutic uh, drugs, whether vaccines or others, uh, that might uh, significantly change how this feels for all of us? Uh, well, you, as you say, Oxford University is, is pressing ahead. Uh, trials have been promising. Um, I think it's very difficult to put a date on it, unfortunately. Uh, and also, I think if we put a date on it and don't meet it, uh, then we have a lot of people who, who then are worried when, when they have no, no need to be. Uh, but we will continue uh, pressing ahead. There are also some companies uh, here in America with both British and American connections uh, who are looking at vaccines. And the WHO has a very big uh, vaccine trial going on uh, that takes in about 70 uh, countries and 200 uh, people taking part in that. Uh, so I think there's a very good global effort uh, to try and find this vaccine. Uh, and then, of course, there'll be something about producing it. We do get a successful one. Uh, I know there are some people who think it's, it's several months away, uh, possibly longer. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that the companies, the universities, are really trying to build on the science uh, and really trying to move things forward. Uh, I referred earlier to a vaccine summit that Germany uh, and the UK and others were at uh, last week. 
this is all about uh, access to vaccines uh, for countries around the world. And it's about uh, trying to ensure that if a vaccine uh, is developed, when it's developed, uh, countries can have access to that vaccine uh, on an equal basis. Uh, the British government's put in over $80 million uh, to try and help that along. Uh, and I think that's a very important part uh, of the vaccine discussion. So, uh, Ambassadors, we're getting near the end of our half hour. I have one more question that I want to ask each of you, uh, which is a, a little bit more uh, sensitive one, but it's one that I've been thinking about, and I think many people have. Do your governments think it would be appropriate, as we try to understand this pandemic that has affected the world so powerfully, that China open an credible internationally supported investigation uh, into the origins of this uh, COVID-19 virus in Wuhan, we believe, late last year. Uh, President uh, Trump has called for such an investigation. Uh, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has similarly called for that. What, what do your governments think? Uh, Ambassador Pierce, you start off, what's the British government view about whether there should be a, a chi open Chinese investigation that's transparent? Um, I think that there certainly needs to be some sort of review slash investigation into how the virus got started, um, the wet markets uh, in China, uh, which do carry public health risks. Uh, this is at least the third virus, I think, uh, to come out of China uh, before the century is a quarter old. Uh, and that's quite a significant uh, um, risk. So I think there needs to be uh, definitely some measures taken around that. Uh, whether they're done by China or with international cooperation, I think we need uh, to discuss. I think we probably also need to discuss the response of the World Health Organization. We need to learn after all these crises, uh, just as we did after Ebola in 2014, uh, we need to learn how we can always do uh, things better. And I think it's certainly the British government's position uh, that we do need some reforms uh, in WHO and looking at the international health regulations. Whether you put all those together uh, or do them separately, I, I think for discussion uh, among experts, but we would like to see those areas addressed. However, and I think it's an important however, at the moment, the most important thing is to cooperate on tackling the pandemic and get on top of the virus. Uh, so we would see these sorts of reviews and reforms and investigations uh, as something to come later and put the focus at the moment on international cooperation to make sure we really can overcome the problems we've got at the moment. Thank you. Uh, Ambassador Hopper, we're at the end of our half hour. Any quick thoughts about the German view of whether this investigation, uh, what happened in China is appropriate? We have to have a dispassionate look into why uh, the pandemic occurred, how it occurred, uh, what mistakes have been made, uh, where a lack of transparency may have contributed uh, to uh, the rush of uh, uh, contagion. But it needs to create uh, uh, transparency and knowledge in order to equip us better uh, for um, a future uh, similar challenge. That also uh, um, relates to the, uh, the way we manage uh, or handle the WHO uh, um, issue. The WHO in this global health crisis plays a crucial role 
it may have made mistakes. Uh, we'll have to look at what worked, what didn't work and why, uh, but it can't happen in the midst of the crisis. Politicization in both issues uh, would probably be uh, mutually exclusive uh, with getting the transparency we absolutely need. So we're out of time. I want to, on behalf of all the people who've been watching, uh, thank both of you, uh, ambassadors, for speaking so clearly and directly to the issues we're all thinking about. Before I sign off, a reminder that Washington Post national political reporter Bob Costa will interview Maryland Governor Larry Hogan tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on your streaming channel. And on Friday, I will be interviewing the CEO of Ford Motor Company, Jim Hackett. We'll talk about the impact of the virus on the auto industry and Ford's coronavirus response. You can head to WashingtonPostLive.com uh, to register and learn more. Thank everyone, especially uh, the British uh, and German ambassadors for joining us uh, this afternoon and uh, be safe, be well. We'll see you virtually uh, online again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.